Hello and welcome to Last on the Breaks, Lockdown Last on the Breaks, another week here with another podcast down in lockdown in the UK. Myself and Fran Wild, Fran's in a conservatory, I'm in the spare bedroom, but we're speaking to someone <laughs> very, very special indeed, Danny Pedroza, MotoGP legend, as you would have seen in the title, joining us on the show today. And Fran, that's a pretty special guest in your eyes, isn't it? I mean, it is for me as well, but especially in your eyes. It is, yes. A big fan of Danny. Um, before I started working in MotoGP, um, was one of my favourite riders. Very much respect him. So it was very cool to get a bit of a deeper dive and not just how did it feel to win Bruno 2012? How did <laughs> this feel? But, you know, some more kind of not necessarily more interesting because everything's cool to hear from a rider's perspective but some more off the beaten path topics i would call them yeah so we've what have we talked about we talked about how it is balancing being a kind of more private guarded individual in a world that expects you to interface with the media so much how that changed in his career retirement what else did we cover windsurfing to go at windsurfing that's another big one windsurfing um how to enjoy one of your passions that you're maybe not the best at when you've been a perfectionist in your career yeah exactly enjoyed that admission (laughs) um and of course one of the yeah as you mentioned one of the main topics which kudos to you that that was like your idea to ask him about the the privacy side because i think many people when they think of danny pedroza they might think oh this is going to be a podcast talking about injuries given that can partly been a lot of the story of his career but we thought let's try and avoid that we did mention it at the end uh try to get a constructive thing out of it asking him about what sort of mindset things helped him through those times and whether that could translate to anybody at home listening in who's you know going through a tough time with lockdown whether it be with job or other general life stuff but the privacy thing I thought was particularly interesting with Danny because he was very quiet and what's really good about this podcast I like to think as well is we actually saw him come out of his shell a little bit but interestingly with him is that his career was when it was the old traditional media style tv interviews and papers and then by the time he finished it social media it's boom it's everywhere update on instagram instagram live instagram stories everything how did someone so private get to manage that Um, yeah definitely obviously we have our most famous kind of reluctant media uh, talker in casey stoner um and Danny Pedrosa, I wouldn't say was ever really like that so much, but certainly a lot more private than some riders who'll kind of like Instagram live from whatever situation nowadays and really let you in. Not saying one or the other is better. Um, I think everyone who's a fan of a rider obviously takes an interest in what they're doing and likes to keep up with it. But then from a personal perspective, um, I'm much more like that. So I maybe post one thing every three or four days that even might have a location on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I very much identify with that. Obviously, partly it could be because of age. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. I think it's a, it's a good uh, it's a good little uh, look through the looking glass, I think, that certainly about the mentality of being in that circus when you're not necessarily a natural performer. And I've got to be honest with you, when we first started out, me and me both started out in Dorna around about the same time. And one of my first experiences going to the track and doing some interviews, which most people, when they work in sort of the content side of Dorna, when they first go and do interviews with riders, you sort of go and do some of the, not live interviews, but ones that get sent to broadcasters and this and that. And they normally start you off in, in like slightly well riders who are a bit further down the grid than say some of the big hitters and one of my first big hitter riders to interview was Danny Pedroza and that sort of 
um, I wouldn't say standoffish approach that he would have, but sort of more to the point and blunt, not giving you anything else. Private kind of technique that he had yeah. in the media meant that in my first interview, always with him, polite. Yeah, yeah, I would po- say. polite, but definitely like, hey, let's do the business. Thanks. But I'll be honest, I was incredibly nervous throughout doing it, <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah, I, I can't say I actually enjoyed it. So uh, even though it wasn't exactly a podcast like this, but what I can I say now think- is I really enjoyed this chat that we've had with Danny. Definitely. For comparison, I think my first bigger interview that I did like that was Lorenzo in Qatar after the crash on the Ducati on the first lap huh. or nearly early in the race. Nightmare. And I just remember being like, well, this is a great subject <laughs> to... Uh, Hi, <laughs> to I'm Fran. Up. How are you? Bruises? And I remember I was just like, so what can you tell us and he uh, what as for like what happened and he's like good question it's like okay we're away we're fine we've 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 got through it but yeah no this is why i personally love doing these podcasts because you have a bit more time to dig in and ask different things and also respond to each other and not just like okay we need to get this bit of information or this soundbite um and i think with a few guests it shows and it's fun to get a bit of a different relaxed side to them Absolutely. And uh, even relaxed at the end, of course, as ever, Kenwood Quickfire coming at you. Yes. I week. really like some of the answers to this. Yeah. This week we did word association. Uh, and yes, yeah, some of them are quite interesting. If you are like me, an armchair psychologist about every single human you ever come across in life. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to leave me hanging there. Thanks. Judge show everybody. No, uh, absolutely. I, I do stick around for the end for that one. Um, and of course, enjoy all the topics that we mentioned that we'll be discussing with Danny. Guess we better get started, shall we? We had. And as always, let us know what you love, what you hate, what you want in future. Uh, look us up on social media, MetaGP Reddit, I think. We've got a thing there asking yes, people for feedback. Actually, the- that's something we can plug feedback like let us know what you guys think of the podcast uh MotoGP reddit there was a a thing about it but you can also just tweet at MotoGP randomly use hashtag MotoGP podcast let us know what you like what you don't like who you want us to interview anything anything really and uh, rest assured um the admins will be quick to pass on anything even criticism because i'm sure they'll get a laugh out of it as well <laughs> let's go speak to danny shall we let's go how are you? Where, where are you in the world now? Do you, you live in Switzerland, don't you? Yes. Yes, I'm in Switzerland. And here, you know, it's a little bit, um, as I've been talking to my family, it's a little bit less uh, dramatic, the situation. Uh, but still, um, it's always with restrictions and a little bit control. So the airport, for example, isn't working uh, as every day or are th- things are different uh, than it used to be yeah I can imagine I think in England as well we have it a little bit more relaxed than Spain I think but it's still quite a big change to life but I guess you've already had quite a big change in your life with retiring from competing and it, everything was a little bit calmer anyway. What are you doing each day? What are you filling your time with? Now, you don't have to train to compete. You're testing. What are you up to? Yes. Uh, well, basically, I always do a little bit of training. Of course, not as hard as when I was competing. and uh, more relaxed on that. But, of course, because I'm testing, I still need to be uh, fit at certain level. 
and that's part of, of the day. Also, for example, today uh, it was very, very windy here. So uh, this morning I was doing some windsurfing. Luckily, I could go on the lake. It was still <laughs> the water very cold, but yeah. the weather was perfect. You need a cup of tea to warm up, really, don't you? Or a coffee? Yeah, I have a quite thick uh, a suit for, for the water, so it's it good. I can imagine it's Lake Geneva, right? I imagine yeah. it's really nice for that, but also quite cold if it's not the height of summer. It is really cold. I mean, the water is cold, but um, yeah, the view is perfect the, when, you, when you are in the lake and the mountains are behind. It, it's really, really good moment. So what, what's life looking like for you, not just at the moment in lockdown, like I want to know what's what's been going on in lockdown, um, but then also what's life looking like for you after this going forward? What are your plans? What do you what do you want your daily life to look like going forward? Well, at this moment, uh, uh, it's, it's hard to imagine what the world would look like after that. But obviously my plan was to 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 keep doing what I was doing as things were going quite, quite well until then. And I was quite enjoying also. I guess it's quite a change for you going from racing so much and the calendar in the last few years, you race get longer and longer and longer. Now you're testing. Does that fill kind of the void of adrenaline? And you said you went windsurfing as well. Do you just have those things now that give you that rush, but everything else is a lot more chilled out and relaxed? Is that how you kind of feel it is now? Yeah, it's exactly like like you just uh, said. I think um, um, in one way I have still a little bit of, of schedule and a little bit of uh, discipline to do things correctly and work with KTM on that. And that maintains you still on the edge. Uh, while in the other hand, I still have a lot of time and also I have, um, the freedom to do what I feel uh, in every moment. So it's really a good, it was, it's been a really good balance so far. Um, and I really enjoyed and it was also good for, for me to kind of uh, slow down a little bit after those years of, of traveling. Uh, and like you said, every time more races, it's always um, difficult to keep up with the rhythm, especially if you have injuries and you have to be uh, on shape for every round. Looking at that photo behind you, I guess that's turn three at Sepang. Obviously, one of those corners which everybody talks about is the feeling going through there, letting the back wheel slide out is one of the best you can get on a MotoGP bike. How does that compare to uh, railing like a, a wave when you're windsurfing, for example? Uh, well, uh, for me, it's, uh, that turn is really a really nice one. It's one of, of the favorites. And the shot can come always really good. So um, I, I really like this picture. And the feeling of that corner is, is, is really, really good because, as you say, uh, the tire slides a lot there and you have a good control because the speed is quite high. So you have uh, the corner is very long, so you have time to make a long slide and have the feeling when it's going and when it's coming back. Uh, unfortunately for me, I cannot really compare to windsurfing on a wave because I'm... <laughs> 
way not at the level to, <laughs> to do that good <laughs> on the windsurfing. So, um, well, uh, I will have to improve my skill, I guess, to to make that comparison well. <laughs> I guess you do have, you have Sepang mastered. You were the fastest man around there most of the time. I guess you've got time now to get up to that level in windsurfing and uh, rip it a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, time I have. And um, I, I like, I like a lot uh, doing uh, this sport because it's a great time to share with some other windsurfers and friends. And unfortunately, I don't have the same talent for windsurfing than <laughs> for motorbikes. See, you say that, but races are notoriously so self-critical. I reckon you must be a lot better than you actually think you are at it, like surely. Well, uh, obviously, uh, we are used to learn a lot of things uh, and, and do it fast. And especially, do it, we like to do things correct. We like to do things well. So... Of course, we get frustrated when we don't look good and when we don't do things the proper way. So we study a little bit more and we try always to improve. So, um, yeah, I can, I can, I can sail and I can do some things, but it's 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 not like um, for me going on the bike. As it's not the same. Uh, I don't understand the the same way, but uh, I, I'm really enjoying. Well, that's good. Do you think a few other riders could learn to maybe try something that they're not naturally brilliant at straight away and see how that changes their mentality a bit? Because you must really love it to keep doing it, even though you say you're not like the world champion windsurfer. Um, do you think it helps you kind of think about life a bit more than, okay, I'm doing this, I have to do it perfectly, then I do this and learn to enjoy the experience as well? Yes, I mean, like like I said, um, the because the character is like this, we like to compete. Uh, we are so competitive, so we we like to do things perfect. Uh, let's say um, it's hard to accept when you when you cannot, uh, or when somebody else is way better than you. Um, but like you said, in windsurfing, for example, I kind of relax of a little bit of that and I accept that I'm not that good and, and more try to enjoy that moment and that situation about other writers. I don't know. Um, I would say that some people are competitive for everything. So they like to they like to the challenge, let's say. Uh, some others, when they know they are not competitive, they just give up. So they don't want <laughs> to know anything about that. Uh, so it's a little bit day and night for for this. So, but it would be cool to see uh, everyone's uh, choice. <laughs> yeah, whole world, like MotoGP rider windsurf championship. Although they, they actually a couple of them did uh, jet surf, didn't they? Jakob Kornfile's really good at that jet yeah. surfing. Did you get a chance to do that ever? Never I had a chance to to really have a go on one. Uh, I did um, I did try uh, foiling uh, with uh, electric ones, but not on the on the jet ski. Um, I think the jet ski of uh, cornfield is it's, um, uh, gasoline or electric. I, yeah, some, I'm not sure actually. Uh, they got noise coming out of them, so I think they I think they gasoline. Yeah, <laughs> petrol. Okay. That's a good never. way to tell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's the noise like? Anyway. 
Okay, well, that's that's jet skiing then. Yeah. One other thing that's kind of you're not known for in a bad way, but you're quite a private rider. You've always been like you go to the media debrief. It's like here are my answers. Bye. And then go and carry on with life. Obviously, there's a lot of riders have super different attitudes to this. Casey Stoner obviously hated it all, just wanted to be left alone. We spoke to Maverick a couple of weeks ago. He said that sometimes he will just say whatever he needs to say. So then the people will leave him alone for a while and he can carry on with what he's doing. (laughs) Um, But then afterwards, we saw the documentary about you that Red Bull did. And you kind of kind of let people in a lot more than how you had done often during your career was that something that was easier to do when you had retired and you don't have people like us uh, asking you questions the same questions often every thursday friday saturday i mean yeah it's different for for my character i my personality i don't i don't like to tell all my secrets all the time and I don't even think why people should know all of my secrets. So uh, once you open up a little bit, uh, sure, media starts uh, asking for more and more and more. And finally, you end up somewhere where you can you cannot stop. So, um, yeah, many times you, you may react to some questions with some answers that, uh, let's say, locks the next questions. So you can you can get over it. But um, why in the documentary? I would say it's maybe because I did finish the the racing uh, at the time, and also because maybe the atmosphere when I was getting the interview was uh, nicer. Let's say you are not in that uh, uh, in that room block where everybody is shooting at you. You know, so it's, it's a different different situation i look at your the the time span of your career and you so it sort of um stretched over the time when communication and the media landscape changed quite a lot so you were there when it was just mainly like tv interviews some newspaper reporting and then by the time your career finished well we're well into the social media era and obviously with the social media coming, everyone wants to know every little thing about you. Danny, what's your favourite colour? What's your favourite food? What, where did you go last night? This and that. How did, <laughs> did you manage to find a balance for that with, with, with your sort of your privacy? Or was that quite difficult? Uh, well, I don't know if I find a balance, but I had the choice. So, and I... I know you have to be a little bit more into social media, but uh, seems to me like um, today people to be in social media, they all the time do stupid things or funny things or things that are a little bit uh, non-common. Otherwise, you don't get the attention. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm not the kind of guy that to get uh, likes or to get attention is doing uh, <laughs> strange things you <laughs> didn't normally would, wouldn't do, you know, in your life. So uh, I kind of choice, okay, when I have something to say, I say, and when not, I don't. Uh, of course, you have less followers and you have less activity in your accounts, but for me, I, I, I prefer to have a... Uh, 
to show what I want to show and and to have like a normal life reflection. Uh, I don't want people think that I'm all the time, um, I don't know, uh, doing things I normally don't do. Going to Bali, things like that. (laughs) (laughs) All these crazy lavish holidays, crazy breakfast, taking photos of your breakfast from up above like this and stuff, I guess, right? Yeah, we, um, I think I listened to a podcast recently that said that social media, people wanting attention so much, it actually makes them less creative. Do you think it's helped you go from one life to something really different after retirement to always have that kind of level-headed attitude like you never really raced to be on tv or to do any of those things it was just about racing and winning podiums and competing yes uh i mean my philosophy from from a from when i was a child i was always thinking okay you race and you do good and then things come with that uh, is not the opposite way. Uh, it's not because you do a lot of noise and a lot of activity, you get to race or you get to win. So therefore, I always kind of focus on training and winning and and doing my uh, performance uh, rather than uh, the op- the other thing. But uh, it's, it's very true that today all the fans, they like to... And the best, most of the time, the best way they have to know about you is by your social media, because maybe some some people, uh, they don't get to maybe read the news in the web or see the TV uh, or the broadcast. So it's it's for them more, much more easy to get the news from, from you. I look at um, a lot of the, like you said something earlier about how you don't, during your career, you didn't want to give away all your secrets and whatnot. And I look at a lot of the Moto2 and Moto3 riders who, when they do interviews and stuff as well, they are very sort of short with what they say. They keep their cards close to their chest. Did you ever have, what was the reason for that in, in your sense? Did you not want to feel that your competitors had any advantage because they know something extra about you? Is, is that something that goes through your head? Because speaking to some of these other younger riders, that's definitely something on their mind right now in 2020. Well, uh, for sure, I mean, as you know, uh, between rivalries, there are rivalries that are on track because two guys are very fast or equally uh, equally fast at many racetracks and the points are there. So there, there is like a friction. But there is also the other side where the media afterwards, after the racing, gets um, the thing bigger, you know. Uh, so many times by media you can get to know things about your rival. Uh, how is he? Uh, is feeling good or not? Or he's happy or not? Or uh, other problems that may happen that you may don't know if if you follow on media. So yeah, it's kind of uh, keeping things for yourself mm, because you don't want others or your rivals to to get to know too much so they can benefit from it. I've seen as well. There's a few different races where you won and usually won by quite a margin, dominated. And then in a couple of press conferences, you're kind of sat in the middle 
as I think there's one with a Rossi Lorenzo argument. There was another one at Sepang amongst the drama. You actually won that day. <laughs> How does that feel when you're kind of in that storm? Is it more like, hey, guys, I won, or is it like, okay, good, yeah, you can talk about that. I'm going to take my trophy and enjoy it, and I'll see you later. Uh, well, a little bit of both. I would say that sometimes, um, uh, okay, sometimes you, you are there in the middle and things get get like this, so you cannot <laughs> really change because you won the race, but you weren't involved in any uh let's say drama during the race so uh the media really wants to get that thing bigger and get that thing going for during the yes. week or maybe the other week uh that there is no racing so uh sure i understand that game but um in that moment uh, you are thinking many times hey I'm here <laughs> i won the race you know so um, especially if maybe you uh didn't win for a while or you didn't get good results for a while but at the bottom, I'm like, okay, you can talk whatever you want. I have my trophy. I win for my team. My team knows it. And let's move to the next one. <laughs> it definitely looked like a few of those times. I'm pretty sure, thinking back, it was Mizano 2015, was it? When Rossi and Lorenzo started arguing and you were sat between them. 16. 16. Yeah. And uh, yes, yeah, because that was my first year at Dorna. I remember watching it and just watching you there, just sort of sat there like, Almost, well, almost with a smile at, on your at face. At the time, the argue was a little bit unnecessary. Uh, yeah, yeah. But like, but it was quite funny how you you just sort of sat there and you, you were just like, okay, if you want to do that, great. <laughs> but, and it's just, it was Very watching. Relaxed. Your, yeah, you're, you're, even though I find sometimes you don't, you maybe don't say so much. Your facial expressions tell a really funny story. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, I. I don't know what I should do then. I should <laughs> go in the middle and say, hey, no, you have the reason, you don't, whatever. No, I was like, uh, okay, I did a super race today. I come from the back and yeah. I pass everybody. And here here we are talking about a little pass uh, that happened in, in lap two. Uh, but, you know, if, if that was at that time, the press values more, you... You cannot do anything else. I mean, I I put a super performance that day. I was super happy about that, and I just want people to appreciate that. And if if it's appreciate, uh, I'm super happy. If not, then I I just let things go because I'm happy with with my performance. I imagine you have to be that Mazzano race, especially was just crazy. You went, I think you started eighth on the grid, right? Hmm. Um, and literally just, it was like you had an extra nitro booster or something out of a sci-fi movie. That was an impressive sight to watch. How does that feel to win like that? And especially because quite often in your career at times, whether from injury or whether you've had a few results off the podium, there seems to be a lot of people quite eager to criticize compared to a couple of other riders for no real reason that it seems does that feel even sweeter when you then go from eighth on the grid and just look like you're in another level and take that kind of win is it a kind of extra special feeling to it um yes when you have these kind of days where you are above 
everyone else uh, on track. It's, it's, it's really a super feeling. And uh, it's even more because you know that that thing doesn't happen often. It, you, you cannot do that every weekend. So maybe next weekend somebody else will do uh, against all the field. So you have to really uh, take the moment to uh, make the most of it and make sure you 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 win and then uh, it's the feeling is inc is incredible because it's everything is happening so so smooth and so good um that you know the other days where you are struggling uh that you 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 can see the difference so basically you just focus on on hitting the the right spots uh, every every lap and and things are coming by themselves. I, I read a I read an interview that you did at the end of 2018. I think it was one of your last interviews in the in the paddock before you retired, and you spoke about I can't remember which I think it might have been a Valencia race when you're in 250s or something, and you carved through the field so well and you overtook so many people and you described how it you didn't it felt like people were moving out your way because almost God wanted them to move out the, out the way for you. Um, and it was, it sounded like you were describing what it feels like to be in the zone where you're just so 110% focused. You can't do anything wrong. Your bike's on rails. And can you, was, was any, can you describe any MotoGP races where you felt that sort of thing as well? Was that Misano race one of them? Um, well, that, that, that race that you described was in Assen 2004 ah, yes, with the 250 and mm. it's true. I, I, I start with a problem in the, in the bike and, and I was dead last. So it was, we were like around 30 something riders. So at the beginning I was passing people, uh, four and four riders each corner. So like I said, like I said, then there was riders everywhere, but it's like, if you see that your tunnel opening through every rider oh. and another time it was in, um, in Barcelona, 2008 in MotoGP. And, uh, but this, this time was different because I started um, front row, so I get a good start, and I was first. I was leading the race, but although it, there were no riders in front of me, and I was leading every every corner for at least I don't know, maybe the first seven eight laps, it was like slow motion. Uh, I don't know how to how why this was like that, but everything happened so slow that I was feeling I was going so slow. <laughs> and in, in, in the other hand, I was doing the record every lap. And I was gapping Casey and Valentino a second per lap. But I was feeling I was super slow. Uh, my brain, I don't know, but my view was like, I'm not going fast enough. I'm not going fast enough. And for the first seven laps, I pulled out a gap of seven seconds. Uh, and then when I realized, uh, okay, I have seven seconds, <laughs> then suddenly I, I was back on the, let's say, normal uh, normal uh, behavior of, yeah. of every race uh, and then just manage the, manage the gap. But for the first seven laps, I was doing the record and I was feeling that's not enough. There, there is more. <laughs> um, does it... 
do you find it sometimes actually harder if they tell you like on pit wall slow down or calm down does it break that mentality there's the really famous formula one example of Ayrton Senna in Monaco when he felt like he was in a different dimension and as soon as he got that radio call hit the wall do you think that's kind of can be a good thing and a bad thing but I mean you had seven seconds so there's also like you need to be more sensible but do you how do you balance that and how does it affect it on when you're on the bike trying to think about it actually the problem is that i had these two experience and i really felt wow this is something crazy because if i'm in this zone uh, i'm always winning no uh, but I couldn't really choose when uh, this was happening and it just happened. And like, like you said, um, when something else happened at the time, if, when you are in the zone, like maybe you get a pit board and you say plus seven and maybe you realize plus seven, plus seven is, is already enough. It's a lot uh, plus seven to Casey and Valentino. Then you are, you are off and you cannot go back. And like when in Aspen 2004, I was dead last and I was like, I, it's impossible for me to be here. I have <laughs> to recover. So I was recovering and when I arrived to, I don't remember exactly, but when I arrived to maybe fifth or sixth, I realized that and I said, okay, I'm fifth. So I'm not anymore last. So, and then also I was off uh, that period of perfection. And so it's, it's true, maybe that call in the radio for Senna or things that wake you up, let's say, are worse than being in the zone for, uh, even if you are way faster. And in that moment, do you, you, you feel as though you're not going fast enough, but do you feel almost like you're invincible, that you can't crash? Like there's no way you're going to crash or, or what? Uh, in that moment, you don't think you are going to crash and you don't think... Uh, you have rivals. Uh, it's strange to say. You don't think, okay, my rival, let's say it's first and I'm seven and I... No, you just... Uh, here there is, behind, there is nothing that interests me and yeah. everything that I have to go for is in the front. Uh, there is no, not much more than that. You don't think about positions or uh, lap times. You just You just go like... You don't mind if you are there for five, six laps in a row or um, you pass already some riders. It's like you don't think of, um, you don't make calculations. You just go. It's all instinct. That's super interesting. Yeah. It is, especially for people like us who can't even drive a car fast enough to uh, really take advantage of the autobahn. So, you know, it's quite a different <laughs> dimension. Uh, so I thought we'd finish up this part of the interview with one more thing. And then we have a little quick fire round where we wanted to do word association. So we'll say one word and then you say the first thing that pops into your head. If you say anything and then you're like, oh, no, we can edit it. <laughs> <laughs> but the viewers won't know that. <laughs> but, yeah, no no pressure on that one. Uh, so the last thing, we didn't want to spend your time talking again about injuries because it's a topic everyone's asked you so many times about it. 
I imagine it's not the most fun thing to talk about either. By definition, it's pain and sitting on the sidelines and waiting. But obviously the world's quite different at the moment, like we said. Do you have anything in your experiences of overcoming that, whether it's for a fan who's struggling with an injury or struggling at the moment in lockdown, how you take those things day by day when you can't just immediately go back and do what you want or what you're used to? Uh, well, basically the key uh, is that you have to be patient by knowing that at that moment or this moment you cannot do what you want or what you would like. But in your mind, it has to be like, okay, I cannot now, but I will. And it's not the same as thinking I cannot now and maybe I will not be able then. It's it's very different. You have to you have to accept that at this situation maybe it's difficult for you. Um but somehow in some way you will find the you will find the, the road that takes you to, to do it again. Do you find that having that overall goal in your head from like especially in your case I also read that you had you knew exactly what you wanted to do from such a young age? Do you think having that north star, that goal ahead of you, is something really, really important for for doing that? Yes, I think uh, because I've seen this uh, with my friends, uh, with um, some people that they they did, let's say, they did study, they go to the university, then after they get a job, and you still see they hesitate because maybe they are not happy or. They don't feel really uh, the thing. Fulfilled, and yeah. I was very lucky to know at a young age what was my passion and, and also after to get with the good people that give me the, the opportunity to, to do it. Awesome. Shall we, cool. shall we move right, on to the quickfire quick round? Yes, so yeah. this is the Kenwood quickfire. Um, thank you very much to Kenwood. We do our walkie-talkies for this one. Um, so we'll start <laughs> off. It's word association. So just as we mentioned, the th- first thing that comes to your head when we say, and I'll start, the word freedom. What comes to your mind? Time. Okay. Cool. It's speed. Bikes. <laughs> MotoGP. Uh, passion. Marquez, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, top class. Home. Rest. Sun. Uh, life. Rossi. Uh, hero. Retirement. Uh, I would say. Uh, sad. Sad, okay. Family. Love. Lorenzo. Uh, rival. <laughs> Rain. Uh, um, <laughs> That'll do. No good, okay. 
Um, strength. Strength. Yeah. Uh, mental. And lastly, victory. Peace. Peace. Oh, nice. I like that. That's really cool. And that was so quick as well. How interesting. Yeah, that was genuinely quick. Some of them, it's like, oh, well, let me tell you the story about 1994. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no. Good. Nice. All right. Cool. Well, thank well. you so much. So, hope you enjoyed another lockdown last on the breaks. Not quite sure how much of that pause is going to get left in. Hope I didn't stare at you for too long. <laughs> um, I think that was a really nice little deep dive into Danny Pedrosa. Not much else to say, I don't think. We other covered than it in the intro, didn't we? Yeah, exactly. But yeah, get in touch with us. Let me, us know what you like, what you don't like, everything else, as we said earlier. And who have we got next week? Uh, don't know. Uh, honestly, we have no bookings. Um, we've not sorted any. Well, we have some ideas of who we actually want to get, obviously. But right now, there are no bookings whatsoever. So tune in next week. And uh, well, if actually, if you want to be on the show, send us a pitch. No, don't really. I'm just kidding. We don't want you. Sorry. <laughs> um, but uh, we'll find <laughs> send out next a week. self-addressed envelope to you've been framed. <laughs> send, send, and uh, put £200 in it to increase your chances of being on the podcast. <laughs> uh, legal disclaimer, that is fully said in humour and jest. Uh, thanks very much for listening, guys. I hope you've enjoyed it and watching it if you've managed to put up with our mugs throughout the show. And see you next week with mystery guest bye